0: You are listening to an American Theatre Podcast. American Theatre is a publication of Theatre Communications Group, www.americantheater.org Hello, I'm Deep. No saying. And we're your token theatre friends coming to you in your ears because we had some technical difficulties last time Jose didn't turn his mic back on and so therefore blaming me
1: (laughs) I don't think people care about technical difficulties
0: so we're re recording some theater reviews that we did last week because we care about you and we care about your finances and making sure that you spend your best money at the theater so every two weeks, we review three shows at three different price points and tell you which one we would actually pay money for. Because here's a fun fact about being a theater critic, you don't pay money for tickets. It's, it's a great gig. Wouldn't you say, Jose?
1: I guess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so what are we talking about today?
1: We are going to be talking about Paradise Blue at Signature Theater, Exquisita Agonia at Repertorio Español, and Women in Scarecrow at the Irish Repertory.
0: I like it when you speak Spanish. (laughs) ¿Por qué? For our first show, we will be talking about Paradise Blue by Dominique Morisot, currently playing at Signature Theater. Tickets for that cost starts at $55. It is the third play in Dominique's trilogy about Detroit, where she grew up.
1: Why are the other ones? Skeleton Crew?
0: Yeah, Skeleton Crew and Detroit 667. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> yes. And uh, this one, which is period, t- takes place in 1949 in Detroit's Black Bottom neighborhood, which is rapidly gentrifying. And a nightclub owner named Blue is debating whether or not to sell the club that had been in his family for a, gen- for a generation. I really liked just the overall style of this play. I it was it was directed by Ruben Santiago Santiago Hudson, which you know, always a good time there. It's not hyper realistic. It's it's very stylized. It's it's in the style of a film noir and so you have like slow and slinky movements and and people are speaking in a very heightened language, which is just gorgeous because there's also some live music that's played by the actors in the show. I mean, the dialogue mirrors the music that that they play. It's also very beautiful, and it's one of those times where, man, I just wish people spoke like that. Just Gee, though, generally, we
1: wouldn't be able to keep up. We curse too so much. Yeah, we do. People, people didn't curse as much back then. I think.
0: I don't know, but they say cursing is a sign of high intelligence, right? Said, like, <laughs> darn
1: and like golly and
0: <laughs> how's bells. <laughs>
1: But yeah, I, I, I love that you said that about the the language mirroring the instruments, because I mean, the, the, the music, because in many ways, I felt that, you know, each character represented an instrument, and she just... Turns the uh, Dominic Morisot just turns. it's kind of like listening to like a jazz Mm -hmm. piece in a way Mm -hmm. but with like words and like people acting and the actors are so good
0: the actors are so good i want to give shout outs to crystalline lloyd who plays pumpkin and simone masique who plays silver uh, because they're both such they do such great things to these characters. Who, you know, one of them comes off as as your t- your typical femme fatale. If you see a lot of of uh, film noir, which is basically a uh, man, usually men, getting screwed over by women. But then in this version, like you kind of root for the woman to sc- the women to screw over the men because we've been mistreated, ladies. Life is hard, and so therefore, when stuff goes down in this play, and then we can't spoil anything, stuff does go down between men and women in this play. Like you're cheering for the women, and and it, 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 I love like the sense of empowerment it gives to like a genre that has historically been very uh, kind of misogynistic
1: to women. Super misogynistic. Like, I would go even as far as saying that we don't even need the male characters in this show. Like, they could just be played by a trumpet and, like, a trombone. Because, <laughs> like, the women own this play. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think it necessarily passes the Bechdel test because they're no. always talking about guys. But always, I mean, it's always. part of the genre. But the scenes with Crystal and Lloyd and Simone Missick just together are, like, fucking mm-hmm. explosive. See, I'm cursing. I could not make it in the 1940s.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and my criticism is I, I would have loved to see more between the two of them because I feel like there was such, so, so much more interplay between the men than there were between the women. But I feel like it was just as much, if not more, like the women's stories. And, like, one of the characters, Pumpkin, like, she goes through, like, a very... She she goes. She has a giant arc throughout this entire show, but I don't think like the resolution of that arc was earned. I feel like it came too late in this two-hour play for me to feel for me to feel like it was an, an organic turn. You know?
1: Do you- I can see that. However, I didn't feel the time of the play like it was one of those rare plays where the running time didn't like. You know, it didn't dawn on me that it had been two hours until I was like, "Oh, it's it's been two hours." Because it was so entertaining, also. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if a reason why, you know, the playwright kept the two women apart for so long was because she knew how combustive they were together. Like, you know, like she's like, "I'm just gonna give you suckers a few scenes with them because you won't be able to handle it for too long."
0: But I am ready for this jelly. I well, am.
1: I'm, I'm ready for it too. But do you think all the subscribers? <laughs> are Uh,
0: and maybe maybe who who cares about them we're not writing for them well Well, she's not writing for them she's writing for other people
1: yeah i mean there's producers of that so someday we'll get that
0: yeah and i'm feeling very conflicted about how it all ends i don't know about you
1: don't give it away uh, why? Or, without giving it away, why are you conflicted about it? I thought it was a perfect ending. I loved it.
0: I think because I think I sympathize too much with one of the parties that a bad thing happens to. And I kind of sympathize with him, even though he is kind of a terrible person, but he is a terrible person with dimension. And so therefore, like when the stuff goes down, maybe maybe it's a patriarchy still in my head, but I'm thinking, <laughs> did did it really have to go like that? I mean, he had problems. We could have solved it. I feel like we could solve this another
1: way. Well, that escalated really quickly. I remember it's Noir, so mm. the, the stakes are different, and like the resolutions are always like either like extremely tragic or rarely. yeah, I don't think there's like any happy noir. No, no. I think that's why they call it that. yeah, oh, that's sad,
0: except Pinot Noir, that's happy.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Oh god, that's sad. No because I, yeah, I love film noir. It's like one of my mm-hmm. favorite like film styles. And oh God. Okay, now I'm gonna go cry.
0: <laughs> Maybe that's why you're sad all the time. I want happy noir. <laughs> let's let's get Titus Burgess to do some happy, happy noir. noir. Yeah. And did I mean and I've I've only seen I haven't seen that much film noir, but do they usually integrate like a social um like a social commentary element because what I really love about the play of Paradise Blue was even though it was really pulpy but there was also that, that critique of gentrification and of, you know, white people like encrouching on like, you know, Black spaces and like pushing people out and you know subjugating them and so is that usually a thing that happens in the genre?
1: I mean, it depends because they're mostly it was mostly geared towards talking about like the mob and organized crime and that kind of thing. So the few noirs that actually talk about you know social uh, inequity, for instance, like Chinatown. Which goes to town, pun intended (laughs) uh, On like a water development in California Those are very, very rare And they're they're more common in like, you know, modern noir Like maybe like after the 60s Mm -hmm. But like 40s and 50s noir It's just dames and, you know, like assholes
0: Dames and assholes And that is a title for this
1: episode (laughs) Any any final thoughts on this? Um, I just want to reiterate that, uh, you know, like we keep people, we, we keep listening to people compare Dominique Morisot to August Wilson for obvious reasons. But, uh, you know, I'm I'm always saying this and I'm really looking forward to the day when people are going to be like, oh, this play is so Dominique rather than this play is so August.
0: Right. Well, it's also not original to compare play black playwrights to August Wilson. No. No. So don't stop, stop doing that. stop Stop doing that okay okay next show
1: Women in Scarecrow by Marina Carr is essentially the story of a woman who's on her deathbed waiting for you know whoever to take her to wherever she's going and she's engaged in conversation with her alter ego called Scarecrow which is another female character who keeps reminding her about both the good and the bad in life
0: it's a tidy four-character drama. It's currently running at Irish Rep, which I've never been to before. Have you been there before? Yes, it's a Okay. Lot of fun. Yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, it's Irish, so
1: it's so Irish.
0: It's so Irish. So therefore, it's going to be a lot of white people talking about not that much, very dramatically.
1: Yeah. So I have some whiskey if you can beforehand. They have like mm-hmm. really amazing at the concession stands. They have really amazing whiskey-filled chocolate. So
0: what? See, this is why this is why people listen to us. Yeah, I, would so I would highly recommend.
1: Good tips. Highly recommend it. But the play, you know, I I enjoyed the play more than I thought I, I would because mm-hmm. it was it was so engaging. It was so compelling. I thought it was going to be like super dark and super I don't know, like morbid, which it was. Yeah, but it was also so 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 funny. Like it uh, it. I think anyone who goes see this play will inevitably like start thinking about their own mortality and like, what the fuck have I done with my life?
0: Exactly. And and what did I, and what did I not get to do in my life that I feel like I should do before I die? Because you know, when you're dead, you're not going to regret the things you did do. You're going to regret the things
1: you don't do. Yeah. As
0: you can see from this play.
1: Unless you come back like as a ghost and haunt people trying to. Mm-hmm. That would be fun. That would not be fun. So <laughs> what would you? What would your scarecrow be? It wouldn't be a scarecrow, probably, right?
0: No, no. I mean, the scarecrow in this play is like a very beautiful and talented a- actor, Pamela J. Gray, who, I, and I mean, she she just she she just looks the way I wish I
1: could look. You know? But she has like feathers and scary like yeah. nails and, like a beak. That's you don't want to look like that.
0: But she only does that at the very end when stuff goes down. <laughs> but no, I think my scarecrow would be like my Patronus in Harry Potter, which is like it's just it's just like a cat a fluffy cat who's kind, who's really sardonic and bitchy and tells me that I should have done more
1: with my life sir so patronus is garfield is what you saying. my patronus
0: is garfield oh that's yes. cute yes yeah and i also like lasagna so it works out <laughs> yeah what i mean if you die what would if you died tomorrow what what would your regret be that you didn't get
1: to do i was not ready for this question <laughs> oprah you should ask me what would my scarecrow look like. That I'm ready for. I don't think I have any regrets. Ooh, what's that like? I've made sure I do everything that I wanted to do. What kind of tips do you have to make sure people do that too? Um, Just don't care what people think about you. And... We only live once, I think, so go for it.
0: Yeah, and that is what the play is about. Uh, The only thing that I would say in criticism is I don't, Okay, so maybe it's maybe it is just like the, the Irish Beckettness of it all, but one, you don't know what the hell this woman's dying of because she's like what all of forty years old and she has eight kids, and so you think, oh, she has a lot of energy if you have eight kids, and so why are you dying? And and if you're dying, why are you taking so goddamn long? So <laughs> there's that. There's that part, and too like i i I feel like I just had a hard time empathizing with her situation, and I don't quite understand why she didn't the woman didn't do everything she wanted to do.
1: I think that play does a really great job at uh something that's like very in the social like i don't know like the collective like uh conscious right now, and it's like I think that play does a really great job at like portraying what depression's like i feel that this woman Mm. didn't necessarily have like anything you know like cancer or anything like huge i just think she was just done with life i think she was just like highly like very very depressed and Mm -hmm. the things that the scarecrow tells her about you know how bad things can get and all that i think it's a perfect play about about depression and it, like, captures the way in, like, which, like, your body just, like, goes. You can't control your body and, like, what it does. Like, because at times we even see her, like, jumping in bed mm-hmm. and, like, you know, you're mm-hmm. like, how is she dying? And then, like, 10 seconds later, she's like, you know, she looks like the oldest person on earth. And, I, yeah, I think that that it captured that beautifully. So I appreciated the play for for touching on those, like, extremely Irish, extremely dark subject matters.
0: Oh, I didn't re- I didn't think about it like that. Okay, that's good. Oh, that's good. I get that. Okay. Okay, now it makes sense. Okay. Okay. I appreciate that more now, Jose. Thank you.
1: You're welcome. Yay. Thank that's... my depression for that.
0: Thank you, Jose's depression, and thank you for taking your medication.
1: And since you never asked, my scarecrow. <laughs> <laughs> and who would your scarec- scarecrow be? My scarecrow would be the scarecrow from The Wizard of Oz.
0: Aw, so he's happy?
1: He's very happy.
0: Good. Yeah good i'm glad you have a happy scarecrow <laughs> thank you yeah all right last show
1: in exquisita agonia nilo cruz who won the pulitzer prize for anna in the tropics like oh wow like 15 years ago mm-hmm. Whoa. in this play he goes back to what he does best which is churning this operatic melodramas for the stage this one centers on an opera singer called millie who lost her husband in a car accident. Millie becomes obsessed with figuring out where her husband's heart went. And I mean that literally. He was an organ donor, and after he died, his heart went out to someone else. So without spoiling anything, Millie does her best to find out who has her husband's heart. And when she finds this person, she realizes that maybe she has way more to live for than she thought. I love this play. hmm mm-hmm. Yeah. Ame esta obra. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you giggling when I speak in Spanish?
0: I have no idea. <laughs> I, it's the lizard part of my brain. I'm sorry.
1: You're from California, girl. You should be used to Spanish.
0: I, I am used to Spanish. And and I've always kind of been a little bit, you know, giggling when people speak in foreign languages to me. It's just a thing that happens. Oh,
1: that's so cute. Yeah. I I love, you know, like since we're talking about Spanish, I love that we're giggling all through Exquisita Agonia
0: no okay i was trying to read the subtitles i was really (laughs) i was i was really focused um and if you've never been to repertorial espanol um it's a spanish language theater they're currently celebrating their 50th anniversary happy birthday (laughs) yeah and it's all spanish language and so they have subtitles in the front of every seat for you like like at the opera so you don't have to speak spanish in order to enjoy the shows there and we recommend you go and check out some great plays
1: Yeah, and this is another show Which I think, you know, like Very much like Paradise Blue Which was jazz This show mm-hmm. feels like opera Oh, definitely no music in it And I wonder, you know Because I, I love Nilo Cruz is such a master At creating, like, beautiful language And in Spanish The play does sound like music You know, like The, mm-hmm. the way he puts words together It's just so fucking lush And just, like, it washes all over you
0: I love what you say about it being like an opera, though, because I also feel like the gestures were also very big, and all of these people were feeling so many feelings, and they had to talk about them and physic and physicalize them in ways that's not natural to how people would actually act in this in these kinds of situations.
1: Oh yeah, and like, can we talk about the costumes? Okay, Those coats that Millie wears were mm-hmm. so incredible, and no one really. Like that in real life either. No, like, I feel the uh the design of the play and the look of the play was very inspired by Pedro Almodóvar movies and also by like reiner Werner Festbender Fassbender movies, which are so like colorful and like you know like there were flowers everywhere and they have this like incredible mm. lighting. Like
0: yes, I the love back. the lighting.
1: Yeah. And it was so expressive and the music. Like I have a secret about the music.
0: What's the secret?
1: The director composed the score also.
0: (gasps) Whoa! Oh, who's the director?
1: Jose Saez. Okay. He composed the score under a pen name because he didn't want to get all the attention. But the music is so stunning. It's so evocative. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't like comparing theater to other mediums, but it does feel both like an opera and a movie
0: in Mm -hmm. a way now yeah it was it was the music was so lush and it just sets the tone so wonderfully for what you're going to see which is a melodrama
1: yes like in fact i was i would go as far as saying that you know like we only get like a new pedro almodovar movie like once every couple of years so if you really want your your dose of almodov almodovarian i don't know what what do you call it? like if, if you want your dose of like almodovar-esque art you must Because, oh, my God, even the title is so like, oh. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Of love. You know, it's basically talking about love and heartbreak. Uh, And also grief, I think. Because the the second act is all about, like, this absent, this deceased father and and how he damaged his family and how his family is still trying to reconcile with that. Knowing that part of him is still alive out there, which is which must be the biggest mind f. And I think the actors did really well. I mean, I think the writing, I think the acting and the writing did really well in like grappling with those things and what would happen if like a ghost of of someone you love and hated like walked into the room.
1: Oh, that's creepy. That's like the scarecrow's walking into a (laughs) yes. And as a thirst trap Because I really think Everyone should go see this play The men in this play Are so beautiful They are beautiful Yes Yes, And, and also great actors
0: Yeah and, and, and at one point You know Someone unbuttons a shirt It's nice
1: Oh It's nice I remember that Yeah Go see it
0: Yeah it's like, I understand why you want to put your face against that. I, 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 get, I understand that.
1: <laughs> and do like grand gestures mm-hmm. as you like come closer to his chest. So which of this place would you go see again?
0: Uh, I would go see Paradise Blue again by Dominique Morisot. But I would say that about any Dominique Morisot sh- show. She's such a gorgeous writer and also like a fierce advocate for diversity and calling white people out on their stuff. So thank you, Dominique, for writing this play
1: she is wonderful and as much as i love dominique i was just so thrilled to see nilo cruz back on stage that you know exquisita is my pick for this week
0: right oh and shameless plug for another thing that jose does he also interviewed nilo cruz for another podcast you want to plug that
1: well it's not out yet it's gonna be out on wednesday so i guess i can plug it right?
0: yeah plug it
1: yeah so i talked to nilo cruz Uh, on maximo and i did an interview in english and in spanish so and as a bonus like the questions are not the same so if you speak both languages you're going to get a richer nilo cruz experience
0: that is amazing i can't wait to listen to that and that's
1: m-a-x-a-m-o-o you better listen to the spanish first version also for like your asmr at
0: night sure i I mean i'm going on a date with someone who is latino so like maybe he can help translate for me (laughs) (laughs) there you go (laughs) okay And next up, we're going to give you the audio of our interview with Eve Ensler, author of The Vagina Monologues. Her newest show, Fruit Trilogy, is currently playing at Abingdon Theatre Company Off-Broadway. And we talked to her in person. And here is the audio of that. And if you want to watch us interview her, you can go on YouTube at Token Theatre Friends. Enjoy. (laughs)
2: Your your fruit plays and how and how you conceived of them. Um, I was commissioned to do a play about um, immigrants and refugees by a wonderful theater in Britain called the West Yorkshire Playhouse, and ended up writing a piece about a woman who was escaping sex slavery, um, and hoping to get asylum in another country. And so that play was the beginning of this called Avocado Mm -hmm. because she was stuck in an avocado warehouse. And the truck and that, or whatever we know, whatever mm-hmm. it is a truck a, a boat we don't really know exactly what it is, and then that led to um me being commissioned by um la Repubblica in Italy to do a piece on what was happening to women who were being sold um to ISIS as sex slaves mm-hmm. and and essentially having their bodies being sold at market, yeah. which was so surreal and so be, so I kind of write, wrote a surrealistic piece around that. And then the third piece grew out of my belief that coconut oil is is mystical and takes us on journeys. So it's really the story of a woman who is rubbing coconut oil on her body and goes on a mystical journey.
1: Uh, I was reading Avocado, actually, and something struck me, and I thought it was really beautiful, and it's how you're able to, in words, capture what I could only describe as feeling and and thinking. And I was wondering if you can share you know, your process into taking mental processes and almost dream processes and turning them into words fit for
2: stage. That's a, that's a really good question. I don't know if I can even describe it. I mean, I think, I think with all three of these pieces, the desire as writing it was to climb so far inside these women that I was feeling what they were feeling. Do you know, to just, to just go so far inside that I just we could feel and feel and feel and feel what they were feeling, and then that would give language. You know, and I and I and, and because I think, but all these pieces are rooted in women fighting for their lives in some ways, um, and finding either a mental approach or a physical approach or a you know a, a imaginative approach to, for survival. Yes,
1: I was so uh, overwhelmed in a good way, I would say, by in the body of the world and how you uh, are able to remind us that the theater is there for us to escape. But you're also inviting us to activism. Can you talk a little bit about this dynamic of theater as a sanctuary, but also as a place for activism right now?
2: And I and I think it's interesting because I think sanctuary and fire are very close together, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That um, I just think at this point in time, where we are in the world with... All of the terrible things that are going on, whether it's the environment, whether it's this hatred of the immigrants and this destruction of beautiful people who are coming to this country, whether it's the desecration of black people on every front, whether it's the ending of reproductive rights, whether, I mean, we could just go on. We have to, theater has to be a place where people are activated. We all have to be awake right now. We all have to be involved right now. We're on a sinking ship. You know, we're in, we're in the burning, the burning is happening right now. And out of this could come an amazing future. If we're using our imaginations and if we're in collective solidarity and if we're, and if we're knowing that we are the people who are creating that future and theater has got to help people be reminded that they are the ones creating that future. I think there was a time you could be passive. You could go to the theater and you could be entertained and there could be Mm -hmm. musicals and there could be, you know, and and, and there's nothing wrong with entertainment, but it's kind of like as the boat is sinking, you might want to find the exit or you Mm -hmm. might want to find how we're going to get to the next place after the boat sinks, you know? Right.
0: And I also think ignoring it as a luxury. Or, in, indeed yes. it
2: is. Indeed it is. And and I think one of the things that happened unfortunately to theater is it's become so expensive that mainly and a lot of the times only wealthy people can see it. And so the people who are in real struggle, the people who don't have the luxury of escaping, whether they're mm-hmm. poor, whether they're working eight jobs, whether they're being attacked for being black, whether you just name what it is, um, those are the people who we want in the theater so that they can be we want everybody, but we want those people to be really lifted up and and engaged and and part of a collective, so they don't feel alone and excluded and by themselves.
0: Right. And for the Fruit Trilogy, you have two wonderful women of color Hi. playing the role, the different roles in these plays. And so, how what is your strategy in making this the, this piece accessible in a casting level? I,
2: I think for most of my career, um, I have cast, and you know, I mean, if you begin looking back, I was I was thinking of this the other day, like. Vagina monologues. I actually had a, a contract, you know, a, a rule in the contract that a woman of color had to be cast in every group that performed it, and it was great because guess what? They did. They performed it. Guess what? <laughs> it traveled into communities of color, and it became something that was owned by those communities. And and I think in this case, it could have it could have been a lot of different women who performed this part, but yeah. I actually. Feel like Liz and Kiersey were the best women for the parts. Like
0: so, how does it feel now to have this thing that you wrote, the Vagina Monologues? And do you feel like it's still yours, or do you feel like it belongs to? Oh, it's
2: belonged to the world for a long time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah I don't. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 it, it it took flight a long time yeah. ago.
0: <laughs> and uh, what, what were your reactions when you heard
2: that it made the New York Times twenty five best plays in the last twenty five years? Well, you know. I was honored on one level really honored and of course it's an honor you know mm-hmm. but I, I I'm always wary of ratings and judgings and who, mm-hmm. right like and who decides and who makes that determination and you know you fall by the sword you di- you die by the sword you rise by the sword I mm-hmm. I, I I I feel like um, it's great to be included and, and it's great for the work to be recognized of course but I also know there are many playwrights who didn't get on that list, and I know how I would be feeling today if I wasn't on that list. I would be feeling really bad. Mm-hmm. So I I think we need to create thinking of systems with artists where it's not comparing, but sharing. It's not rating, but creating. Do you know what I mean? We mm-hmm. need... And, and it's not... Um, Pitting us so that one gets all the food and other people starve, but that we all get to be part of a community. And, and sometimes when you set these hierarchies up, it's hard to be friends then, and it's hard to be connected. And I'm not I'm not saying that in a critical critical way because we haven't learned any other better systems yet. Yeah. But um, maybe they could do something every few weeks where they share how many wonderful playwrights there are and what they're doing. And, and so we spread the love. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Because I think there are many young playwrights out there or other playwrights who have been doing extraordinary work and their work needs to be recognized and seen. Wait, so do you watch award shows? I, 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 I try not to, yeah. but sometimes I'm, I find myself drawn in. It, friends are there, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. I, I think our award in this business or in this world is doing our work. And having audiences come and seeing the impact we have on audiences. And I think, unfortunately, because it's a business, as my friend was saying today, we get caught up in reviews and awards and selling and blah, 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 blah. blah. And I don't think the theater is about selling. I think the theater is about transforming our consciousness and waking us up and moving our hearts and mm-hmm. juggling our ideas and shaking us out of our complacency. And um, And so it's always interesting to have to interface with the system in trying to get your work done. How do you hold on to those values while at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. You have to participate in a structure that you don't necessarily believe in. So
0: what I'm struggling with right now is just staying, staying positive mm-hmm. because it feels like every time we move forward in progress, we always move back. And so what, what has been your strategies for staying hopeful?
2: <laughs> That's a good question. Um, you know, I was in Manila um, uh, last year. And I was, in a, um, I was in Tondo, which is a slum there. And um, we were talking about hope. And um, the people are so poor there. And they're so beautiful. And they're so kind in spite of incredible poverty in that slum. Mm-hmm. And um, we were talking about hope. And a woman said, um, oh, we can't afford not to hope you see, that's the luxury of, of people who have money. We, If we don't hope, we die. Mm-hmm. And it really changed my whole vision of everything. I realized, like, that is a lack of gratitude not to hope, right? We have to hope because the people who are living in the worst conditions, if they didn't have that vision of a possible another day, they would perish. And I think, um, you know, I'm a, I, I'm a real Beckett fan. You know, I can't go on. We, I must go on. We will go on. I, I feel like why not? Why not go on?
1: Like, mm-hmm.
2: we're going to die anyway. We might as well just keep going on and seeing what happens next. It's, it's all absurd. This whole, the whole living is absurd. What are mm-hmm. we doing here? God knows, you know. <laughs> it all just seems really wild and unfathomable <laughs> and mysterious, and we're never going to find it out until the last moment, probably. Oh. But, but I think the things that give me hope are the women in Congo at City of Joy who have turned and are turning their lives around. The people who give me hope are the activists on the front lines who get up every day, and find mm-hmm. a way to give hope to their constituencies when they have no- nothing. And, and art gives me hope. Seeing people come into the theater and, you know, having a man in the body of the world tell me he'd been there three times and it had been a healing. You know, seeing young women break forward and tell their story after coming to the Vagina Mall. Seeing a young girl be proud to wear her short skirt. I mean, that gives me hope. When you, we see people change, when we see people lifted, when we see people come together, that's hopeful. And, you know, I just say, why not hope? It's so much more interesting than not hoping. I mean, if you're not hoping, you're just depressed. And who wants to be depressed? It's a horrible state to be in. So, mm-hmm. like, I'd say, I I kind of like the idea of just kind of bizarrely hoping, you know? You yeah. have nothing to lose.
0: That's true. <laughs> can't get any worse, <laughs> right?
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it makes you feel good. Yeah. When you're not hopeful, you just feel like shit, you know? <laughs> <laughs>
0: If you could give a Tony award to any play or musical this season that you saw this season, what would it be?
1: But are we breaking the rules and just like allowing off-Broadway, yes. off-Broadway stuff also? Yeah. Cuz like the Tonys only allow Broadway shows to compete, which is it- why this season was so weak, and mm-hmm. so sad. If I were to give any play a Tony, I would give Miles for Mary. A Tony for Best Play.
0: Oh, and to recap, what's Miles, What is Miles from Mary about?
1: It's about nothing. <laughs> it's about a bunch of people just talking about a, a telethon that they're doing in a high school. But it was just so—I love that play so much. I, I saw it a couple of times, and I just—I just freaking love it.
0: Mm-hmm. And oh. we and we reviewed it in our second episode of Token Theater Friends. That's right. And Jose would actually pay money for it.
1: That's right, but it's not playing anymore.
0: Uh If I could give a Tony Award to anything I saw this year... You would just give it to K-pop. Don't lie to yeah, I Yeah, I know. I know. Not gonna lie. <laughs> I tweet about that show so many times. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't live in New York, K-pop is this musical that played off-Broadway. Ma Yi and Ars Nova and Woodshed Collective co-produced it. And it... It is an immersive musical written by Jason Kim and Helen Park and Max Vernon about what it is like to be a Korean pop star. And the music, unlike other musicals I saw this season, the music, aside from the band's visit, the music is really good. <laughs> like, so good. Like, you can play it on the radio and it would not sound out of place. It is so good. And I, it may be coming back in 2019. And if you want to listen to the music of K-pop, everyone, Helen Park, the composer, has a SoundCloud
1: account. Go do it. Cause Go music. do it. It's incredible. I don't remember a lot of the songs, but I remember loving that Ashley Park song.
0: Yeah. Ashley Park plays like a Beyonce-like diva, and her songs in the show are fantastic.
1: And the costumes in that show were so great. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, and, I- and you're saying like, a feet away from her when she's performing it, you're just like i can touch you but i'm not i won't because I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm not creepy yeah because <laughs> i'm not creepy
1: but i mean i guess since we got into the tony thing like what was your favorite win in a telecast
0: uh my favorite win i mean katrina lank come on i mean, That's a good choice yeah i mean I, and I want to make it all about how she looks but she is just like one of the most beautiful women i've ever seen
1: She's like a stunning human being. Like I actually yeah. was rooting for Haley Kilgore to win that category, mm-hmm. but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna complain about Katrina Link. She was just wonderful. Like I feel like that best musical, best actress in a musical was so rich. Mm-hmm. Such a great category. Yeah, that yeah. any winner would have been a very <laughs> worthy winner. I think.
0: Yeah, I think so too. Uh, I, oh, here's a question for you. Do you think the band's visit will be as good when she's not on it anymore?
1: Well, I guess it depends who's replacing her, because I saw that they're bringing in the actor who played the part that Tony Shalhoub plays on stage in the movie, in the Israeli movie, which if you haven't seen, is just absolutely beautiful. And they're bringing in the actor, I forgot his name, who played Tafik in the movie and he's going to be on Broadway
0: what yeah and he gets to fall in love with, with Katrina Lank too yeah. on Just, stage also
1: I, I love that Katrina Lank in her speech thanked uh, Ronnie Del Cabot was the actress who played the part of Dina in the movie and I'm not sure if you know her work she was one of the great Israeli actresses of you know like modern times and she died so young uh, mm. like in her 50s of cancer a couple of years ago she was so wonderful. She was not only a great actress, like, you know, like when I saw Katrina Link in the band's visit on stage, I she just captured this, like, earthy. And I know we people always say sultry when they talk about Katrina Link, and mm. rightfully so. But she just really captures this sultry, like, I don't know, just way of being that Ronnie Elkabetz also did in in movies, and I I would say that our listeners please check out Ronnie Elkabet's movies. She was she was something, and yep, yeah, gone too soon.
0: Yeah, yeah. And if you can't see the band's visit on Broadway, then watch the band's visit visit the movie, then listen to the cast album, and you'll have a good time.
1: You will.
0: All right well that's it for this for this very long episode if you want to watch us talk then you can watch us on youtube at token theater friends or on facebook we post videos to american theater magazine's facebook page or you can just keep on listening to us at this on this podcast though don't complain when sometimes certain things don't translate because you were too lazy to look for the video
1: don't call our listeners lazy
0: Hey, they, they like my realness. That's why they tune in. Uh, and let, let us know if you prefer us as a podcast or as a video series. Leave us reviews on iTunes.
1: You know, email us at tokentheaterfriend@gmail.com. at gmail.com. on in our, in our next episode, since we're talking about Paris Blue, we're going to be interviewing Clint Ramos, who... To sign the costumes for Paradise Blue also.
0: Yeah. And was totally nominated for Once on this Island. He did not win last night, but that does not make it. But he's still an amazing person.
1: And the show won, which yay.
0: Yay. So look for that. Otherwise, thank you all for listening. And remember, theater is more fun when you take your friends. Bye. Adios.